1: This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit Cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Tensions between the U.S. and Iran are likely to find further expression in cyberspace. Ocean Lotus's rat sniff kit isn't up to the threat actors normally high standards of coding, but it's plenty good enough. Cyber attacks in the states of Florida and Georgia. Utilities are urged to go lower tech where possible. MageCart skimmer Inter is being hawked on the dark web. We got an update on the crypto wars, and no, they haven't videoed you using Eternal Blue. Just dump that email. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, July 2nd, 2019. The Washington Post surveyed experts and found that most thought the U.S. cyber attack against Iranian targets was the right call. It was non-lethal, properly discriminating in that it hit clearly military targets, and sensibly proportionate as a response to Iranian attacks on shipping and a U.S. surveillance drone. Reservations the experts voiced involved concerns about escalation, the semi-public way the attack was avowed, the immature state of international laws of cyber-conflict, and the possibility of attack tools escaping into the wild. An Iranian response can be expected. Tehran has already said it's exceeding uranium production limits it agreed to observe, and many security experts are advising businesses in the U.S. to look to their defenses. CISA, of course, has done the same, and warns in particular about the threat of wiper attacks. BlackBerry Silence has published an overview of recent activity by Ocean Lotus, also known as APT32 or Cobalt Kitty. They're particularly interested in Ratsniff, a set of remote access tools Vietnam cyber operators work with and used since 2016. Ratsniff, which offers packet sniffing, gateway and device ARP poisoning, DNS poisoning, HTTP injection, and MAC spoofing, had gone undetected for some time, probably because of its selective employment. It's not up to Cobalt Kitty's usual high standards of coding, and indeed, BlackBerry Silence finds it sloppy. But then you only have to be good enough to attain your objectives, and achieve them Ratsniff generally did. Security firm Talus recently published a report titled The Changing Face of Data Security in the Federal Government. Nick Jovanovic leads the Talus Cloud Protection and Licensing U.S. Federal Business, and he joins us to share their findings.
0: The government has jumped in into to big data environments. They've jumped into IoT, mobile payments, and multi-cloud usage is extremely high. So there's over 80 percent plus of agencies today are in the cloud, and they're putting a tremendous amount of data in the cloud as well as sensitive data in there so
1: and what is driving that movement toward the cloud what are the benefits that they're seeing there
0: uh, that's a great question when I've had some sidebars with some senior executives a lot of what's driving to the cloud while we initially thought was cost savings there there is a bit of that but simply the ability to modernize their platform and technologies is probably the largest impetus that I'm seeing for federal agencies moving to the cloud. You've got lots of legacy systems that are very complicated and very expensive to modernize on their own. And if they migrate to the cloud, they're automatically on some of the latest technology uh, that's out there.
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting insight. That shift allows someone else to uh, have responsibility for keeping everything up to date.
0: But it also leaves a pretty big gap in terms of responsibility around security. When you look at digital transformation, and I group cloud into digital transformation, we're looking at modernizing the environment and it's a perfect opportunity when you're modernizing to take a look at your security best practices and make sure that you know when you do migrate to the cloud, you're not just putting all faith in the cloud service provider and recognizing that your information and your data, uh, whether it's sensitive or not, is still your own and you have a responsibility to protect that. It's a shared shared responsibility.
1: When it comes to the federal side of things, what are some of the specific challenges they face when it comes to securing these cloud infrastructures?
0: I think the biggest thing that people look at is what's the path of least resistance and what's easy? And many of the federal agencies, when, when we pull them in our data threat report, what are they seeing from their end? We're, we're not trying to pontificate as an organization. Overwhelmingly, they come back and say, you know, some of the most effective tools to secure their data is encryption but surprisingly, the number of people who are using encryption to protect their data is extremely low. Only 30% or less use data encryption, which is a critical technology to secure their data. So I would say that enterprise key management to control the keys for the data that goes into the cloud, and then also encrypting the data, depending on where you can encrypt, is going to be critical to securing data. Uh, Outside of that, you've got to have authentication tools to be able to Make sure that the right people are accessing that data and you're creating that zero-trust environment.
1: What do you suppose is behind that bit of a disconnect there, that more people aren't using things like encryption, some of those best practices?
0: There's misconception around complexity with technologies like encryption. When you go back 10, 15 years, it would be very difficult to encrypt a lot of environments or use a key management technology. Uh, Technologies have shifted and changed so that there's almost no impact to the ability to process their information when you're encrypting data. And enterprise key management tools are a lot easier to use, almost simplistic to the point where you can use it between multiple technologies. So that is probably the biggest reason there's old preconceived notions and people haven't bothered to move forward. Now, there's also been a big focus around perimeter defense in organizations and this year in particular, what I'm seeing is that senior management within organizations is recognizing that the perimeter is extremely fuzzy, especially when we're talking cloud. They in fact don't have a perimeter anymore. And so at that point we are really limited to how you're protecting the data and you know it's not gonna be a perimeter focus anymore. People have to actually place controls closer to their data. They have to enforce these controls that are defined by them by encrypting the data. It really depends on what you're using in the cloud. If you're using infrastructure as a service, it's very easy to bring technologies like bring your own encryption, bring your own keys. And the closer you are to the data when you're encrypting, the stronger the protection will be in place if we do that right, you're controlling your own keys, you're controlling access to the data, and then blinding any types of privileged users from the cloud standpoint, from ever seeing the information. So it gives plausible deniability for the organization, for the cloud provider, it protects your environment. Now, if you're using technologies like platform as a service then you have to look at technologies like tokenization or application layer encryption which increases your security posture further because from ingest of your data all the way down to data at rest you're going to be protected and encrypted using access controls now if you're using software as a service you get significant value however you have very little control over how that software platform is being managed and what you can do to protect your data. So you're relying on those software organizations to actually protect the information. What you really do want to do is control your keys at that point, have the ability to report around how those keys are being accessed by the software platforms, and the ability to remove access to those keys if you want to essentially crypto-shred access to that information.
1: That's Nick Jovanovic from Talos, The report is titled, The Changing Face of Data Security in the Federal Government, the 2019 Talis Data Threat Report. Google has removed more than 100 apps from the Play Store after Trend Micro found 182 camera and game apps infested with adware. 111 were in Google Play. The rest were in various third-party stores. A third Florida city, Key Biscayne, has suffered a cyberattack, But it appears to have recovered better than the first two, Riviera Beach and Lake City, according to the Miami Herald. Key Biscayne disclosed that it had experienced a data security event last Sunday. The city manager said that some systems were taken offline during the recovery, but all systems were back up by Wednesday night of last week. An investigation into the extent of the attack continues. And there's been another ransomware attack in the U.S. state of Georgia. The administrative office of the courts was taken offline yesterday as it attempted to deal with the attack. As is the case with most ransomware, the problem is data availability and not data theft, so the office's assurances that no personal data were compromised is comforting, but a bit wayward. All GeorgiaCourts.gov sites were, the last we heard, still unavailable. One would have hoped that Atlanta's major ransomware mess in 2018 would have served as a warning shot across the state government's bow, but any such warning appears to have been insufficient. That's neither new nor unique to Georgia. Baltimore, for example, had not only its own warning shot last year, but several years of internal warning and advice that it disregarded, much to its own cost. Lawmakers in the U.S. are encouraging the power distribution sector to take a technological step back in order to improve security. In a move designed to increase manual operations in the electric grid, the Senate has, with bipartisan support, passed the Securing Energy Infrastructure Act, or the SEIA. Utility Dive explains that the bill asks the Department of Energy and other agencies to look at ways to harden the electrical grid that would replace unnecessarily high-tech systems with simpler solutions that are harder to hack. There's a customizable payment site skimmer up for sale, Fortinet has described a new mage skimmer called Inter that's selling for $1,300 in the dark web markets. The skimmer can be customized to fit different types of websites and payment vendors, and it has built-in templates for 18 popular payment forms. Dark Reading notes that the skimmer's sophistication, ease of use, and wide applicability means that it will probably be seen in use by Inter's criminal customers sooner rather than later. And finally, here are some words of comfort. You probably haven't been videoed in the process of visiting a discreditable website. Extortionists claiming to have installed a Trojan via Eternal Blue infected adult sites are lying. It's a pure scam, Bleeping Computer says. Just delete the emails and go on with your life. A little sadder, maybe a little wiser. Or at least a little more careful where you wander online. And joining me once again is Johannes Ulrich. He's the Dean of Research at the Sands Technology Institute, and he's also the host of the ISC Stormcast podcast. Johannes, it's always great to have you back. Um, I wanted to touch base with you today about uh, what we've been seeing with the WebLogic exploits. What's going on here?
2: Yeah, so Oracle, a couple of weeks ago, released yet another patch for WebLogic, and of course, these uh, vulnerabilities are always uh, very concerning because WebLogic is one of these big business systems. Uh, people usually keep all of their goodies kind of in uh, this one spot. So we're a little bit concerned about you know what are the attackers actually doing with these exploits. We have uh, running a number of honeypots around the internet where we are looking for exploits hitting WebLogic. And uh, well, what we found surprised us a little bit. Uh, Sure, they're hit pretty hard, but uh, most of the exploits, uh, like more than 80% of uh, the uh, attacks or requests uh, being sent uh, to these honeypots actually don't use the WebLogic T3 protocol. When you're running WebLogic, you have the option to either set them up uh, responding to these T3 requests, which is WebLogic's own uh, sort of protocol that it's using, or they can respond via HTTP. HTTP, of course, being simpler and also simpler for the attackers. So surprising, but not surprising that attackers are sending their requests using HTTP, on the other hand, they may actually be missing a large number of targets
1: by not supporting some sort of this default protocol that WebLogic is using. Interesting. Now, in terms of available patches, where do things stand there? Patches
2: are available for these vulnerabilities. The problem with WebLogic is that it suffers from these ongoing deserialization vulnerabilities. What WebLogic kind of does or how it's often used is it receives fairly complex data objects that are then being fed back into various databases, you know, things like orders, HR requests and the like. So uh, WebLogic had a real hard time coming up with a good solution to not allow dangerous objects to be deserialized. What I have been doing over the last couple of years is essentially building a blacklist and we all know blacklists are sort of fundamentally flawed that you're always going to miss yet another way to sort of send a dangerous object to a web logic and as a result also writing these exploits has been very easy and just that last vulnerability was actually found after it was already exploited in the wild
1: now is there anything i mean fundamentally uh, that, that folks should be avoiding these or these web logic servers or, or is it just a matter of keeping things patched and up to date Patching is a good idea, but you
2: definitely should not expose them to the internet. And that's actually something that seems to be getting through. Uh, We don't see a ton of them being exposed on the internet. And the one blind spot we really have with our honeypots here is, how are these WebLogic uh, servers being exploited once the attacker is inside your network? Uh, Because that's where you may have less defenses, where you may expose you really have to expose these weblogic servers internally and so that's where you may actually see some of the more sophisticated attacks if you do see a crypto coin miner running on one of these weblogic servers by all means make sure that you don't just remove the crypto coin miner but be aware there may be other things that are also sitting on that weblogic server even if we didn't see them in our honeypots which of course, now may easily be detected uh, by some of the more sophisticated attackers.
1: All right. Well, Johannes Ulrich, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at theCyberwire.com.